every day I have the same morning routine. I wake up, wash my face, get ready for work, eat breakfast, etc., etc. My favorite part of this routine is something I added around February of last year when my friend told me I have to read this newsletter she's been loving. That newsletter is The Skim, and it's been my favorite part of my morning ritual since subscribing last February. For those of you who are unfamiliar, The Skim is a daily newsletter that breaks down the world news into digestible pieces written in a really conversational tone. But they're not just a newsletter anymore. The Skim has evolved into a community with a podcast, an app, a number one New York Times bestselling book, and most importantly, a community. Today, we are so excited to be talking with two of our role models, the co-founders of the Skim newsletter empire, Carly and Danielle. Welcome, Carly and Danielle. We are so excited to have you. We are so excited to be here. This is the coolest place I think we've done a, a podcast interview from. No, we're like we're in a tiny little box. I feel <laughs> like I feel like a fishbowl in in a good way. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I just want to jump right into the questions. So I was on Instagram recently, and I saw a post, and it was a post of an email, and within the email it said, I think it was an email from Danielle to Carly, and it said, I think we have a great idea. So can you tell me a little bit more about what that idea was in 2012 and how it's expanded since then? I still think we have a great idea. (laughs) I I agree. Also, Carly, one of Carly's roles in in our partnership is that she's the Skims archivist. So she has this weird um, way of like holding on to everything. And all of a sudden, like things like that pop up from 2012. When you're like, oh my God, this is scary. Not only is, is Google hoarding my data, but so is Carly. <laughs> so, but then it makes for a great post. It yeah. does. It does. We always have a good TBT because of you. But I think, you know, when we started the company seven and a half years ago, we were producers, news producers. We had basically grown up from intern to producer and absolutely loved what we did. And at the same time, we saw that our friends didn't watch anything we produced for a living and and that was frustrating and only slightly offensive but we took a step back and we saw a huge business opportunity we looked at the demographic of millennial women leading in so many different ways and having so many demands on their time and not having a source of information that was geared towards their routines how they lived their lives how they spoke and also not having something that they could trust We had basically been playing that role our whole lives because we were news geeks. And so we had this idea, and it took us a long time to actually put a name around it and and think about what the idea was. We just kept calling it like Project TBD. And it was this idea, and we were like, one day we'll start it. One day we'll do this idea. And that's how it stayed for a while. And then finally, um, the idea that actually became the skim came to fruition with us really organically sitting down and coming up with a list of stories and creating this voice together. And then it's obviously been a long, long road to where we are today. I love that story. I think that's really cool. And I love that it wasn't just like, okay, we have this thing and we're just going to dive right on in because it feels more real to have it be like Project TBD for a bit until you're like, okay, we're actually going to do this. Um, So for, for women who have a business idea who also think, okay, this is a great idea, how would you recommend they get the word out there? It's so hard to know that you have this thing that you think is really cool, but getting other people to know that it exists and is also really cool, and like especially delivering the news, which has always been something that people 
have done, but that you created kind of a new way of doing it. I think nailing your value proposition has to be the first thing that you do. And so part of how you do that is research and research more than you've ever researched anything in your whole life of knowing what what else is in your space. Who do you think are your peers? Who will other think are your peers? So that you can say what differentiates you. And then it's what is the one line someone will say about you? You know, people always say like, what's your elevator pitch? But I would say, drill it down even further. Like you should be able to define what your product is in one sentence and your consumer, whatever that product is, should be able to read that back to you. And that's how we knew we were onto something with the daily skim, which is when people would write in and say to us what they liked about it. It honestly felt like they were reading our notebooks of marketing language because they were reiterating back the words that we had been workshopping. And so we knew we were like, oh, we like we nailed this. Now, we didn't always nail it with other products that we rolled out. And that, you know, as we've gotten a team, we've had to learn, you know, not everything is just like immediately instant. I don't know the chemical reaction of, of it fits right away. And so how do you how do you wordsmith something so that your consumer can say it right back to you? That's really interesting. I think the other thing that comes to mind when I think of this skim, and then now there's so much more than just, you know, the daily newsletter from your email, it's become a community. I mean, even Elizabeth behind the video camera. Hi, Elizabeth. Huge <laughs> skim ambassador. Thank you. Everything. Thank you, I think of community when I think of yeah. the skim. So how did you go about creating that community and then even further engaging with that community? So our skim ambassadors, which is the community that you're referring to, I think it's incredible that that has formed around us as a company. We really, in a lot of ways, can't take credit for how it started because it was really the community that found us. When we started the company, we knew how important a real connection with our audience was. I think we've always had an outlook on building the company with an eye on engagement and not just pure scale, really having a connection. So in that first, when we talked about like the first year when we started, it was kind of like, yes, let's figure out the day-to-day and then community. We kept coming back to community. And it was kind of like something that we knew was very important, but we didn't have a game plan. So what happened instead is that when people, people would actually respond to the newsletter and we would respond to every single person that wrote us. And today people are like, oh, did you really do that? And we were like, of course. We thought it was incredible that people were actually responding to something that we were sitting in our couch sending out. Like, that's unreal. And we didn't know what to do with it. We were having these pen pal type of relationships with women throughout the country. And so we asked an advisor, you know, what would you do if you were us? And she was like, well, you should probably ask those people to refer the newsletter. And I'm like, well, that's very obvious. <laughs> Thank you <laughs> for that suggestion. And so we would write back and say, hey, can you send this, the daily skim to five friends or 10 friends? And then that grew to what today is over 40,000 women throughout the country that are skim ambassadors. And that term was actually coined by them. Today, they are the company's biggest and best um, supporters and first critics. I think they push us to be a better company. Um, And we're always thinking about how we can give back. And I think it's really important to have, I feel so grateful as a company that we have that type of connection with a group of people who are always going to hold us accountable. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's awesome. 
So as you build on this community and you've created more channels for yourself to engage with your community, how do you measure the success and the impact of expanding your channels and staying true to the channels that you started in 2012 on your couch? That's a great question. So I think for us, the biggest metric of success has always been engagement. And I think how we measure that engagement is really different depending on the platform or initiative we're talking about. So for example, when we do our voter registration work, we measured engagement in 2016. How many people will we get to register? We got over 100,000 people to register. In 18, we're like, okay, a lot of people registered. How are we going to measure engagement again? We said, we're going to do it by how many people actually show up and vote. And we got over 220,000 people to show up and vote. We launched the brand's first book this summer. There was a lot of ways that you could have measured success around that, but what we wanted to see was, will our audience and that community come out when we do a cross-country book tour, and will they will they show up? And we were scared but thrilled to see that we sold out across the country and we hit New York Times number one bestseller first week. So those are kind of really big extremes of engagement, but on a daily basis, it's everything from our open rate, which continues to crush industry standards on our daily skin email to our subscription and churn rates on our app, which Apple continues to be blown away by. And when we introduce a product or curate or recommend a product, that we continually are the top ways to sell products with our partners, including one of the top ways to sell books to this audience. So all those measures of engagement look and feel really different when you look at them in isolation. But when you take the macro step back, it's really how do we enable this audience to take an action of some kind? That's awesome. I, I love thinking about it that way. And that's something we think about just with our marketing efforts. There are these very tangible metrics with the open rates and then the intangibles which we care about just as much in terms of you know we have people who fly from across the country to come from hypergrowth that kind of engagement means a lot to us as a metric as well I mean it's funny as you say that our listeners can't hear necessarily in the background because you're doing a good job with the audio but you can hear that engagement (laughs) right now with like how many people I just moved through to go get a cookie (laughs) they have very good cookies here but just the, the amount of energy in the crowd here is awesome to see I think that's also one of the things we were most blown away by was actually on our book tour we had people that we would see at multiple book tour stops. You had groupies. We were, had I mean, groupies. it was crazy. Yeah. We did over 10 stops throughout the country. And there were people that we would see in Texas that we would also see, like, in D.C. And they were like, oh, my God, you know, my daughter lives in D.C. I love seeing you the first time, and now I bought a ticket so that we could go see it together. And I flew in. And I think that there is something so amazing and special to be able to get to meet your audience in person Mm -hmm. that as much as we all should be focused on scalable growth, it's just, it it holds a special place in building a brand. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think the other thing about you too is that you come across as super relatable. There's (laughs) a lot of, I mean, in (laughs) in a way that like I feel like I am in your community and I follow your Instagram and I'm, you know, I get this daily newsletter and updates and I think that there's a lot of Silicon Valley entrepreneurs who I think about in these like kind of vests and shoes I don't own a vest. (laughs) (laughs) But how has, how have you seen your personal brand kind of tie into the skin? Sorry guys, I'm really distracted by the dog that's here. There are two dogs. There are two dogs here. Very cute dog. It's very Sorry. I mean, it's funny you say personal brand because I think we were producers for a reason in our past lives. 
which meant that we'd not pursue on-camera careers. We intentionally, when we had to come up with a logo, decide do we have bylines, like our name has never been on our website. So there is that, and we made that a very intentional decision so that the company could scale whether or not you knew us or were a fan of us individually or not. I think that being said, we are the spokeswomen for the company, and not only externally, but also internally. And we have an incredible team back at home in New York, and we we also represent them when we're on the road. And I think there's you know a, a sense of gravitas knowing that. I think part of our brand philosophy is that the skin makes it easier to live smarter. And when you think about what that means, it's that there are no dumb questions, that there is stuff in life that is hard. Usually I say a curse word, but I won't because I don't know your rules. There's stuff that's hard and there's stuff that's unavoidable. And so when we're talking about the skin, when I say that, I'm talking about understanding and navigating the news and civic engagement, thinking about personal finance, thinking about health insurance, thinking about big purchases, how to navigate your career. When I talk about our brand, if, if we want to call it that, it's this is really hard. And there are a lot of people that are asking, how do I start a business? Or how do I negotiate a raise? Or how do you work with a friend as a co-founder? And all these things, which I think, so when we talk about relatability, um, I think that's like a very kind word to say, but I think really it's applying what we do in a more formal capacity um, for the Skims offering to a more personal side in our life. Yeah. That's so, like on the topic of kind of hard conversations to have, you take these very tough sort of um, topics like negotiating a raise or politics in general and make it digestible and easy to understand and something that people want to get involved in. And so we are in the business of trying to get businesses to have conversations with their users and be more conversational about what they're doing and what they're offering. And so like, especially with election season coming up, like how do you take those sorts of conversations that people perceive as hard or not something that you want to talk about and make it like open and conversational and like easy to digest and what people want to actually talk about? Well, I think that the first thing is if if you guys are are talking about specifically advice for how companies can do this, I think first the company has to decide, is that a conversation that they want to have and, and want to have what role do they want to have on it? Because I think that the first thing is, are, are you a company? And I think we've seen this in a lot of different ways over the past four years that are you a company that is going to have a mission that is partisan? And if so, then that makes the conversations easier in some ways and trickier in a lot of ways, because in some ways that is very rallying to your workforce. And in other ways it can be divisive for your workforce. So I think that is a a central question that I think companies and executives need to decide. One of the things that we've done at The Skim is we are nonpartisan. That is not the role of the company to tell you who to vote for. So when we started our No Excuses campaign, it really came out of the fact that we felt like we, meaning the Skim team, wanted to make an impact. And the best way that we could do that was in motivating people to vote. That we felt like we're informing this audience every single day. We want them to not only have the information, but to make the decisions that they feel are right for themselves. So that's how we got really involved in voter registration. And I think that is the thing that we and our team are the most proud of in the company. But I think that started from knowing what our place was going to be and having those questions and having those tough conversations. I don't know if that's the right 
move for every company to be involved because I think that it really affects a lot of things and you don't know what's going to come up in an election cycle. So it's not as easy as saying, you know, we're in or we're out. Um, I think both the employees who want to feel engaged and want to work for a mission-driven company need to think about how what what are the ramifications on the, the business side. And also the executives need to think about is our workforce suggesting this because they really think the company should be involved in politics or because they want to feel tied into something greater than just what we do every day. Totally. And then our last question before we get into our fast round of questions for other women out there who think I have a great idea. What would be your main advice in terms of going about creating that great idea into something real? Well, I think it's honing in on why do you think you have a great idea? What about it makes it great? Is it that you want to do something that other people are doing but do it better? Is it that you feel like no one's ever looked at blank before? Is it a technology that you're like, I just invented something? So I think it totally depends what it is. But identifying what the superpowerness of that idea is and then what is your superpower to it? Why are you the person to do that? When you have that answer, I think it's really looking at kind of what I said before, what is the space that you're in? What is the space you think you're in? What is the space others are going to think you're in? And know everything about it. You need to be like, you need to have a PhD in in knowing this space. Um, And so from there, I think it's identifying who's your audience and what does, what are the metrics of success you need to show first? If it's, if you're talking about like an actual direct to consumer brand, like then your metrics of success are clearly going to be, or someone going to buy something from me. If you're talking about a SaaS technology, you, you need to really figure out how to get in front of businesses. If you're talking about what we did, which was, you know, a really consumer first business, we just had to get users. That was the first thing we heard about. Adding on to what Carly said, I think now at this stage, when I get that question, one thing that, that always kind of goes off in my mind is that everyone ha- can have a good idea. It's not necessarily about having a good idea or having the best idea. And I feel a lot of times with people that want to start companies or say, hey, I've got this great idea, my response back that I don't say but that I want to say (laughs) is kind of like, it doesn't matter. You can have the best idea, but if you can't execute it and you can't build a team or you can't have the ability to transfer that vision, it doesn't matter. So not focusing so much on getting the perfect idea but focusing on knowing your space, knowing the value, all the things that Carly said. Totally. That's a great answer. Yeah, I like that. Okay, we're going to get into the lightning round of questions. Okay. I mean, you both can answer if you want, or we can do like one or the other. It doesn't matter. So first question is, what makes you you, and how do you bring that to your job every day? It's like kind of over. You know, we do a lightning round with our guests, and I always get annoyed when they don't answer quickly. And now on the other side, I'm like, oh, I don't know. I make you think. Like, yeah. I think actually what makes me me is often the stuff that I get critical feedback on, but it's also my superpower, which is that I am very gut-driven, and I have immediate reaction. Um, and so sometimes the negative of that is like a knee-jerk reaction, but I think that that's also, all of those things, when it's at its best, is also when the company has been at its best. Yeah. So I think that's... I think for me, it's probably things that people, I don't know if they always think about with me, but I'm in my head a lot. Like I really, really, I overanalyze everything and I'm often like having conversations with myself all day long, going back and forth in my head. That sounds weird, but it's true. And I think I'm also really loyal and often am very, very, very protective of 
people. And I think that's a positive and a negative at times, but I, I don't forget things. Okay, what is one tool you can't live without, personal or professional? Skim app. <laughs> Email. <laughs> kind of goes hand in hand, yeah. What's your favorite conversation starter? Can be in a business setting, a professional setting. Do you get the skim? <laughs> I like to say, I, I always ask people where they're from. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Someone has something to say about it always. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and then when was the last time you had a flawless buying experience? Oh. Flawless what? Buying experience. Oh, good well, data. today. Yeah. You want to answer? No, you can answer. Well, we are about to have a more flawless buying experience because today we announced our Celebrate Smarter pop-up shop, which really was, um, when we talk about making it easier to live smarter, we found out, and I'm going to put you guys in in this bucket too, as skimmers, on average, we all spend about 20 hours doing holiday shopping, which is, I mean, that's almost a whole day of your life shopping. And that really annoyed us, so we decided to solve that. And so we're creating a pop-up experience in New York, but also a website, if you're not in New York, um, where we will get you in and out as quickly as possible. Um, we have great price points. You can, we have a bunch of stuff around $10, goes up to $3.99. Um, it's awesome. Check it out. Celebrate Smarter. Theskim.com slash Celebrate Smarter. <laughs> no need to check your list twice yes. this year. Oh, you heard it there. Our other piece of advice is always be on brand. Yes. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Absolutely. That checks love out. It. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, thank you guys so thank much for speaking with us today. It was so much fun. Thank, thank you, guys. you. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Whew, okay, Sarah and I just got back from San Francisco. It was great. It was fab. We interviewed Danielle and Carly at Hypergrowth San Francisco in a tiny little podcast booth. And it was such a cool experience. We had so much fun talking to them. Yeah, it was amazing just to be able to listen to them interact and watch them interact and also get their feedback and input on a lot of things all within the span of like an hour. Yeah. So if you want to see our faces and see (laughs) the video of this podcast, it lives on Insider, Drift Insider. Sarah, how can they get there? They can just go to insider.drift.com, make a free account, and we'll be right there. Awesome. Cool. Happy, happy, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Have an amazing feast. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye.